The Overview is a production of Chaman V TV. Find out more about the show at chamanv.tv. What's up, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 72 of The Overview. I'm Jamie MV, and joining me today is ZP in his hotel. I guess that's right. Not yeah, at that Gil's is, place. It is a hotel. <laughs> okay. No, I, I am not at Gil's place. I am in a hotel. It is a very nice extended stay hotel, but a hotel nonetheless. Thus, the part where I'm using a makeshift laptop, or laptop webcam, yes, the world we yes. live in. Well, Better that cam than the Doomfist that we've we've grown to, to represent you with. So. I don't know. Doomfist is my life goals, man. He's ripped. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, I want to welcome back Flame to the show. It's been a while, man. I was it's like, been a very long. Holy while. shit! I was like looking, and I'm like, oh my god! I think it's been like eight episodes since we've had Flame on air. This I think five insane. of them are were World Cup weeks, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. You were busy. I was all over, yeah. Busy in the circuit, so good stuff, man. Great to have you back. And those of you wondering where Ben is, he had to bail last minute because of work. Freaking RL sucks, rip. But uh, yeah, hopefully he'll be back next week. We must continue with uh, without him. Uh, lots of stuff. Once again, this week, we've got uh, lots of changes with the games. We've got interviews with devs that happened at Gamescom, as well as a bunch of player and team news, Overwatch League. Lots of speculations that we can make this week, which is going to be a lot of fun. And then we've got Overwatch Contender Season 1 in full swing, as well as Apex Season 4. So uh, lots of matches also to talk about. Uh, and um, if you guys have any questions for Q&A, go ahead and email those to theoverview at chainmavie.tv, and we'll get to them either this week or next week. If not, just chill out in Twitch chat. We'll probably ask for some questions at the end, too, if we have any time. But, um, okay, well, why don't we talk about the games or some of the game news that's happened uh, since they've been, uh, hang or everybody's been at GamesCon, obviously, the, the um, announcements and all that good stuff. First thing being Junkertown, the new map. So everybody's getting a chance to play it, you know, at GamesCon, and, you know, we got a chance to see the video of it, which was... I have to say, that video was badass, man. That whole <laughs> Thunderdome, Mad Max feeling. I mean, that was really, really cool. Um, but first impressions of Junkertown so far. ZP. I'm just happy to see another Escort map uh, be added to the game. Right? Escort okay. is, I think Escort has been relatively diverse when you look at maps like Gibraltar and Dorado in terms of just the huge variation strategy you see going from point A to the final point. And Anytime you're saying you're adding a new escort map where you have some of the cool train features that Junkertown has, I think it's pretty exciting. We'll see how it actually plays. Obviously, opinions can change once you put it in the hands of competitive players. But, I mean, overall, positive stuff. Yeah, loving the aesthetics too, man. The, definitely the whole, you know, like, let's take back... Let's take back the world or whatever. You know, they, they've got that whole whole thing going for them. But Flame, what do you think, man, so far from what you've seen? Uh, I mean, it feels very Borderlands. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like that, right? but like opening scene where you're coming in on the bus with Claptrap, I thought like, that, <laughs> that's, like, that's right. exactly where I thought I was. That's totally, man. When I was watching the streams, but it's it's a nice map. I mean, the layout looks good. The points look very diverse and like unique, and that's I think important. How would you compare? Like, what, what, which map do you think it's the most similar to, or maybe some attributes of a couple of them? I think it's too early to tell. I think you have to actually play on it to get an actual feel because there's times where you might visually say it looks like X, but it actually plays like Y. 
It, well, from no more when it actually hits PTR and people get a chance to play on it in terms of how it feels. I would say hopefully that I would hope that's more like Gibraltar and Dorado and less like Route 66. I mean, 66 is okay, but it isn't. 66 hasn't felt quite as iconic as the other two main escort maps so far, I would argue. It's definitely more, uh, I don't know what the word is. Like the first point feels very Route 66, but then the mm -hmm. second point feels very King's Row. And the yeah. third point is like very, I don't know what the word is. It's like, I don't even know what to compare it to. It would be like the first point maybe of Dorado or something, like where all it is is just very open and you can go wherever you want. That last point, I think, is probably the one that's going to be played the most. Like that'll be like the shock, you know, where people aren't really sure what they should be running because there's mm -hmm. so much to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. that, those are definitely uh, just. Uh, it sounds like a hybrid, obviously, of a lot of uh, the other maps, and hopefully the best of the other maps. Um, but you know, one of the things that was discussed, and we're about to talk about some of the Q and A too, but might as well bring it up between Seagull and Scott Mercer was that we have 16 maps now. You know, like Junkertown is going to be number 16, and. The question of whether the whole voting system, you know, or maybe rotation, just rotating some of the maps out, uh, should be considered at this point. And um, Scott made it sound like they haven't really got to that point yet, or they don't feel like they've reached the point where they have too many maps and they need to start doing that. What do you guys think? You think that 16 is too many for the players as well as just even people on ladder? Well, what I've always said there, I would like to see things swap on sort of a month to month basis where you announce that. So, to set this up, Blizzard tournaments are licensed to begin with, and most of the tournaments you're getting right now are directly from Blizzard, but let's say that you're in a situation where you also have third-party tournaments. It'd be nice if there was sort of an announcement saying that, you know, say in April and May, here's going to be the map pool, and it's a map pool of like two to three per game type. I think that'd be super reasonable and would give players something to prep for, where you know that during these two months, you will only be playing on these maps for any tournament, mm -hmm. and then you get the next map list for the months after you know maybe a month or so in advance so you know when you have to start prepping and mixing that in like i think that'd be reasonable yeah but overall you think 16 is too much right now i mean like i mean it's i know having, heavy amount. yeah I, I mean i know having like you know set list would be fun and be mixing it up but do you think that 16 just generally is too much and flame uh, i don't know i don't think it's too much i think my biggest gripe with the current iteration of the game is that like you can't really you have no say in what you do play. And, like, mm -hmm. it's not even so much about, like, competitive. It's more, like, I think that there have to be a lot more updates to the custom game stuff because I do think that, like, community servers should exist where you can just, like, kind of pick your own maps to play even if, like, you're in the mood for it. Yeah. Because there is, like, a massive feeling of, like, helplessness um, when you do queue with your friends, like, even in quick play where you're not sure what you're going to get. And, like, if you're going to queue in with your friends, right, like, maybe you're just taking, like, a chill night with a buddy. And you're like, oh, let's just play a few games. But if you wind up getting Anubis or... Hanamura with like a bunch of people who aren't really taking the game seriously. It like definitely impacts your enjoyment level. And I think that's like mm -hmm. something that needs to be addressed more so than limiting the maps or whatever. So you're coming at this from the other angle then. I was thinking about the pro player setup, but if you're talking just competitive play then flame, I think one thing you're sort of leaning towards, which I've always thought would be healthy for the game, just because it also gives feedback on what maps people really dislike, right? As a metric is why not have a map veto system for competitive yeah. where now that you have 16 maps, wouldn't it be reasonable to let you veto say three to four maps? Yeah, for sure. Then, but that's like one of those things that like, is it going to happen? <laughs> like, you know, it's like I definitely think, something that everyone wants. It will happen. It's something that everyone yeah. wants. It's just a matter of like when. 
I just think for that, it would be very good feedback because at the end of the day, what you want people to have in a game like Overwatch is fun, right? And there is the idea where you want every game mode to be entertaining mm -hmm. and good. But you know, if we ever did, say, get a veto system in Overwatch and old biases came up where suddenly you had a significant portion of the player base, say, vetoing assault or vetoing control, then that sort of data you can look at and go, hmm, maybe we should take a look at this even more because you have a disproportionate amount of people vetoing. I just think vetoes are a really good form of feedback. Yeah, especially when a brand new map comes out. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than wanting to play the new map, like in the ladder environment, and you just have to wait. Like you literally, there was, uh, I forget which map it was. It was one of the new ones at the time. I forget it was the Route 66 or whatever it was. It literally took me like 30 games before I finally played it. And it's well, just, uh, a killer. Because I, mean, I, you know, you might not have enough people to go into a custom game and you know, and, and find it. A lot of times, at least in the PTR, they have it, you know, as a specific game, so you can get to play it over and over in PTR, but not in the production environment, you know what I mean? So, I might, that can be I tough. might be going crazy, but I'm pretty sure that when new maps came out, they did have a period, at least in quick play, where they did bias the matchmaker to bring up the new map more often. Okay, I mean, in quick play, sure, but not on yeah. competitive, though. They, they definitely didn't do that. Um, but anyways, yeah, so new Escort, we've been waiting for it because, you know, they when they come out with new maps, they come out, it's like in order of the different types of maps. So this was an Escort, or the Escort's turn, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun given that the Escort maps are the ones that most pro players enjoy playing the most or think it's, uh, it sets up to be the most entertaining games. Uh, the next bit of news I, I think that we should talk about is Jeff Goodman had an interesting post um, pertaining to D.Va a day ago and talking about just possible changes to D.Va. And obviously um, that generated a lot of discussion because of the possible changes to D.Va. So let me, let me bring it up real quick. Um, so the things that he's talking about are basically changing defense matrix, of course. So I don't think anybody... Uh, is upset about any changes to Matrix. So energy drain increased by 2x and um, obviously means that ability would be reduced by 50%. But then the fusion cannon would get upgrades. So you can f fire it while flying for one thing. And then there'd be a brand new ability called micro missiles, which um, you know, obviously would be, you know, the, the you know, Diva's always been missing ability, right? So it'd be that, that extra ability. And then it's going to be more of a, you know, a DPS type of thing. So um, overall, I think, I think this makes her more offensive than just, you know, the, the kind of bodyguard defense blocking everything that she's been lately. You guys like this change? I mean, I think any changer is good, but do you like this particular one? So I think the interesting thing here is that the, the evolution of D.Va play over time, particularly what you've seen from D.Va players in the last four months or so, the big change to that is that people used to use D.Va more like a sledgehammer and use her for offense, diving in on people, and less for right. protection. Mm -hmm. What you've seen people shift to in recent times is that they've shifted her much more to protection, where you use her to mitigate DPS heroes from really being able to do exactly what they want, use it to stymie tracers, 76s, McCrees, mm -hmm. like you name it, Diva is blocking it. Now it's sort of, it feels like the changes are really pushing her back towards the offensive end, where the era of a Diva holding back for the most part might go away to some extent. I mean, we'll see. It depends on how it works out, but it feels like they're at least in theory trying to encourage her to be far more aggressive than she's sometimes getting played right now. Blame? Yeah, her, her damage output might be like ridiculous now because I'm pretty sure you can just like hold mouse one forever and there's really no downside to it, right? Other than like feeding and meal, I guess. <laughs> that is, that's true. That's great. So, like, I think the hero might need like a reload or something at that point, but 
other than that, I mean, it's cool to have missiles. The missiles definitely change the way other heroes are balanced, right? Because now you have more reason to run Zarya if, like, it's less yeah. uh, like less easy to have Defense Matrix up to, like, eat a Graviton or something. And there's obviously, like, you can now eat the missiles with your bubbles and stuff. And Tracer mm -hmm. probably has to play... I mean, depending on the damage, I would assume Tracer has to play more passive a little bit with D.Va. Because, like, the Defense Matrix is up less, but now D.Va has Burst, and D.Va never really had Burst. So giving a hero with, like, so much health and damage output and mobility... And survivability and damage just sounds crazy <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> Diva's um, just, man, when Diva gets buffed, I mean, she's taking a nerf here. It's, it's like one nerf, but like a double buff situation. When she gets yeah, it's like, buffed, it's like a well, super buff. Being able to shoot while flying is a massive buff, I think. It, I know, not like, to mention yeah. another ability. That's well, crazy. what's going to really help her there is that, and this is sort of, uh, I think it's a case where it wasn't really intended to nerf this, but it also makes it so there's another in-your-face counter to Pharah's, right? Where right now, when you're up against an enemy Pharah, your options effectively are, do you run a 76, a McCree, or another Pharah? Like, or you just try to ignore the Pharah and win the ground war. Yeah. You've had Divas pressure Pharah a little bit now, but the ability for a Diva to pressure a Pharah post-patch is going to be way, way better. Yeah, and Mercy, mercy and stuff. There. Yeah, for sure. Is is that a bad thing though? I mean, no, I mean, not at all. Yeah, no, no, it's not bad. There's a lot of there's like few things right now more annoying than like a fire sitting in the skybox spamming 140 <laughs> damage rockets or whatever at you. Right, right. Okay, well, anyways, hopefully this makes it to the PTR. Uh, a lot of times these posts by Jeff Goodman do make it to the PTR, so I I would expect that to be coming out uh, pretty soon. Can't wait to check that out. Um, on top of just this, uh, I guess this, uh, obviously, uh, post by Goodman, uh, Jeff Goodman. We've actually had a Q&A today at Gamescom with Siegel. And Scott Mercer joined Siegel on one of, just, you know, one of the Blizzard streams. And he was there for a while, man. I mean, I, I think he was just answering questions for, I don't know what it was, an hour, an hour and a half or something like that. So just getting peppered by a bunch of questions. And um, he answered... Uh, a good amount of things. I mean, some of the things obviously you couldn't answer because of season six, but um, any specific highlights you guys, uh, you know, maybe pulled from the Q&A uh, that you might want to mention right now? Uh, well, just a shout out to Scott Mercer for, oh, whoops. Sorry, I was getting an echo because I turned on the stream and then uh, was hearing it. was very <laughs> confused. Anyways, uh, shout out to Scott Mercer, man, for working Gamescom uh, two years in a row. If you're working that as a dev, that is a rough show to work. You're in interviews all day long on top of long travel. So, I mean, his dedication to the game is amazing. So, big props to Scott Mercer for making it out there. Okay. I know, I just saw him too, I think. He was in Cali. Yeah. But like, yeah. he, no, he, he was, was at... He was definitely uh, He was definitely in Santa Monica and like, he's he's everywhere. He, like, he was at MLG Vegas. He just... He, I mean, he just loves esports and I think that that's like really cool. And I think that's why he stayed for so long. He was actually like there for so long that he started to get like visibly... I don't want to say tired, but like you could hear in his voice that he hadn't drank water in like an hour and really needed it to the point where like chat literally was screaming, someone give this man water. <laughs> and then like, and then they finally brought him water and he was like, thank you, chat. Re-energized re there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's hard, man. It's hard to talk for so long. I mean, you guys know, can't talk without water for that long. For sure. Um, so I, I think one of the biggest topics that they, that were, was brought up was matchmaking, right? And just what kind of changes, that's a big I think point of conversation right now just in, in the community is that, you know, it's matchmaking. It's always a point of conversation. So um, I think some of the things I brought up were just like role selection, playing, a, 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 you know, just a, maybe some kind of factor in the matchmaking so that you don't have like three Genji players playing at the same time or three Mercy player mains or things like that. 
And um, he didn't really say anything definitively there, but he definitely said that there are some big changes coming to matchmaking in season six, but didn't say much. I I would say reading in between the lines, the biggest thing that was in there, and it was somewhat stated, but I think it would work into all the other factors, like perhaps trying to prevent one tricks from stacking up on a team and then leading to a situation where you have two mercy mains and then the one mercy main goes dps and can't play dps in avoiding those situations just sounds like the matchmaker is going to wait longer period which means not only would you get closer games in terms of sr but if you wait longer and the game can sort of use tie breaking factors to try to avoid putting two mercies on the same team or two dps players of the same type it, it would just overall increase the quality of games so it does come at a cost you're not going to be able to instantly queue in the games as quick as you do now but when you get in the games it sounds like you're going to get a higher quality experience on multiple levels which i think is a positive thing yeah flame anything you pull from that did you you can you saw uh, it right you saw it right yeah i mean i watched most of it live yeah. i had to renew my seagull sub because it was his <laughs> first time out of jail in like two months or something <laughs> but um <laughs> Uh, I mean, I was more excited that he gave like a kind of, you know, we're trying to have stats and replays and like scoreboards by BlizzCon. I thought that was really cool as someone that like watches and wants to be able to watch without being at the mercy Reap. of the YouTube VODs. You know, like that's yeah. really, it's really rough for me right now. Um, replays, man. Craig has them. <laughs> totally. Replays are going to yeah. be amazing. It sounds like they're making some UI changes and like some f- fundamental like spawn times and like mm-hmm. stall changes and stuff. So like it's good that they're doing all this now. And I think that like they're realizing, you know, like, hey, Overwatch League is soon. Like we got to make this game as well paced mm-hmm. and like as well watchable as we can. And I think that that's like really good. Yeah, I mean, uh, so the spectator stuff, uh, you know, I've been hearing rumors and stuff for a while, so I'm not sure how much was super new in bringing that. But, I mean, just know that good stuff is coming. Uh, Blizzard knows that spectator should be improved, uh, especially with bigger projects like Overwatch League coming in the future. And it's going to get better. You can expect it to get better. And that's just, you know, what we've heard today is just more confirmation that, hey, cool stuff's on the way. So, you know, if you're a fan of watching Overwatch, uh, your experience should be getting better soon. Yeah, I've never, I was never really worried about them providing the tools for it as much as it's just the human aspect of it. You know, people controlling these tools. I mean, yeah, that's, that's where we need to work on the, or what we need to work on the most right now. Um, okay, anything else? Let's see. Uh, MMR reset. He didn't really say much. He basically said they're not going to do an MMR reset <laughs> in his, his mm-hmm. weird example that he was given there with the bell curve. Um, other than the Lucio Cabal, they really... They, they really enjoy what's going on with Lucio Ball and this competitive thing. Speaking of Lucio Ball, ZP, how was that Lucio Ball event? Kind of like a tangent here. Uh, oh, it was absolutely fun. It was uh, great to just sort of, you know, be more casual in broadcasting and have some fun with it where you get to make up your own storylines where we got to see <laughs> players that, we, you know, we're not, we don't usually see in the competitive community show some fun moves in Lucio Ball earlier today. And the U event overall was a blast. Uh, I think. Not only did the players have fun, the viewers had a lot of fun, the commentators had fun, and hey, I mean, it's an event where we got like 6K viewers for Lucio Ball 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 So, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, it was like super fun. Uh, And it's one of the, I think it actually lends some credence to the idea that perhaps for fun mini games like Lucio Mm -hmm. Ball, perhaps uh, there should be more streamed events like that that people could put together in the future if it lends itself to that type of format. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think I think these type of community events are very rare in the Overwatch community. Um, you know, we used to see some of these events in you know maybe the StarCraft community and things like that. 
But uh, ever since the arcade, or not the arcade, but the map editor came out, or just the you know that that whole custom game and arcade and everything, I, I felt like we were going to see more of that. But we've seen nothing basically since then. <laughs> I mean, playing. I even talked to you about it, right? Like it'd be so awesome to like you know create these these different types of silly games, and we we saw some of them. We saw um like some. McCree races, or no, we saw some uh, uh, Lucio racing across, you know, Nimbani and things like that, but nothing's really stuck at all to, to become something like Lucio Ball. It's Before we get hard. too far for the point, by the way, yeah. shout out to Zohan. The man was beast. <laughs> Zohan, okay. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. Zohan. Continue. <laughs> um, I mean, it's weird. It's hard because, again, like, setting up lobbies in this game is actually super tedious, and, like, until we have the ability to, like, save and load and put passwords on it, it's, like, kind of a hassle actually to like get people in the server because mm. i've like had people on friends list like even like because i have a community right and like there there's a lot of them so like getting 12 of them isn't hard but getting 12 of them added to friends and then inviting them and then like yeah. finding a fair way to like bring people in and out is like really really hard so yeah, i hear you i think eventually like that's probably really long the totem pole i would imagine on like the blizzard <laughs> update totem pole so <laughs> we need invite like, links like, yeah, exactly. Like yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, like, right. like, uh, <laughs> link. We need invite links. We need like join through. Like, I need to be able to just like post a link in Discord, and then people can join through it. Like, that'd be sick. Right. No, and, like, be... just have a server up twenty four seven that like I can pay for. That's just like mine. You know, like stuff like that. I think will eventually happen. But yeah, like you need that. I think before the custom games become like yeah. sick. Re- read in between the lines. There, Flame wants to ban people. He wants <laughs> the power. He wants full control. I, I want my toxic community. <laughs> to be in full force right <laughs> okay well anyways to, to conclude the q a um you know again scott Merce, thanks for for doing that thanks for seagull for obviously uh, being the um interviewer in that particular case and it's always great to get a chance to you know interface with the the developers um next bit let's talk about player and team news because there's as always lots of player and team news um going on particularly overwatch league this week so first off, the first bit of news is that Overwatch Boston was, uh, you know, tweeting all day, definitely threw out some hints that they made their first hire. And then towards the end of the afternoon, they announced who that first hire is. So um, they are excited to welcome president of gaming, Huck. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's the, the first president that we've had, you know, in all of... Uh, Overwatch esports outside of like Blizzard, I, I would, I'm thinking. So, what do you guys think of this move? And you know, is this the start of a lot of management and executives being assigned or hired by all these organizations? Well, first off, I'd say it's somewhat of non news, right? Given the fact that I feel like we got the same exact announcement a few weeks ago, effectively <laughs> saying the same thing. I, I, I guess title differences, whatever. Now it's on Twitter, ZP. It's real. Yeah, it's yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. even more real. So, yeah, I mean, that's coming out. It's not like a new news. I mean, the most I'd say there is that this is an awesome opportunity for Huck, right? Where, yeah. you know, we'll see what he's capable of in Boston. But this is literally just a once in a lifetime chance to make something great, and we'll see if he can live up to it. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the president title is kind of bizarre, but I think a lot of it came down to the fact that, like, I think there's only a few cities right now that don't have orgs, like, endemics with them. So I think it's more like, you know, we're going to start a new endemic, kind of, and, like, he had, like someone needs to be in charge of it. So that's kind of how I took it, more so than, like, people were saying that maybe he's just involved with, like, 
like Overwatch, like the manager, but he just gave himself a really cool title. But I think it's more <laughs> close to like, I think it's more close to like, I'm in charge of overseeing everything underneath this name because they're not going to get an endemic. Is that not just uh, evidence of some sort of acumen there, though, where he's been in the chair for like two weeks, has already upgraded his title to president? (laughs) If in another two weeks, he might be the emperor and overlord of sports. Global global director. The next, the next level is the COG, right? Chairman of gaming. That, that, that's where he's going to be. The prime minister. Prime minister. King. <laughs> the ultimate prime minister, president, king, emperor, overlord, czar of gaming. <laughs> Wonder yeah. what title would be the most, the most impressive. Emperor, czar, what else? Sult, the sultan of of gaming. <laughs> That'd be pretty sweet. Like well, I'm not gonna be satisfied until Huck comes out of Boston esports with a Daenerys Targaryen level title chain. <laughs> And it, it will be, it'll need to be announced oh by that by any announcer who talks about him being at an event. It, Chris Laringer, actually... first of his name. Breaker, <laughs> Mother <Breaker>. of Tracers. <laughs> Breaker yeah, Breaker the, of Chains. <laughs> the, the, the one of top three control, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, congrats to Huck for, you know, obviously getting this great uh, opportunity and, you know, best of luck to him. And we'll see what kind of team that Overwatch Boston ends up building here. I think we'll see more of this. I think that this is mm-hmm. the first many, if I had to guess. Yeah, for sure. There's people staffing out like for their orbs. I mean, really, it is a gold rush, though, right? In terms of the idea that we're going to be seeing a lot of people take on management roles with different OWL teams. Some people are going to be very successful and really secure their spot in esports for decades to come, perhaps. And some people are going to flame out. So it is going to be entertaining to sort of watch the mini Game of Thrones for uh, OWL executive leadership as it goes down. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see even who gets picked. And, you know, like there's always going to be a lot of commentary on just who gets picked for these these positions. But I'm curious to see if, you know, Huck is the start of this. And it's like, are we going to see more... You know, basically, folks that have, have had e- experience in esports, you know, whether it's Overwatch or it's other other esports, are we going to see more managerial people? You know, like that that we've seen, um, or or people that have held management positions in uh, esports, particularly Overwatch. I mean, we we definitely have people in management in, in Overwatch already, and you know, I would suspect those type of people would be getting getting calls. You know, like Alakis, you know, those those type of guys, right? I mean, like. Well, I, I, I'm pretty sure Alakis is just with C9 now. Like, C9 yeah, just he already got his call. That's true. Yeah, he already got his call. That's uh, true. Like a whale eating a school of fish, the like C9 just sort of flowed their way over and absorbed <laughs> all the laser cannons. That's how that went yeah, down. Yeah. I think they, they, like, they chopped That's them down true. management at all, as far as I know. That's true. That's true. Um but anyway, so that'll be good to watch. Uh, we've got something with LW Blue that's popped up recently. Um they've withdrawn from Apex season four last minute. So obviously OGN hasn't been very happy about that. Um, so and they're going to be competing in Overwatch League season one. So they're going to be moving to NA from Korea. And there's all there's all the speculation because LW Blue said, "Oh, it's because we want to we're, we're dropping out of Apex because we want to compete in Overwatch League." But the schedule doesn't really line up correctly because Apex <laughs> doesn't even over overlap with over, Overwatch League. So um, people are wondering what's going on here. Why you know do they have to? withdrawal from Apex Season 4? I mean, it, it still would have been great to see them playing there, and I think it would be good for them, too. So, what's going on here, guys? So, I don't know all the details, or really any details aside from anything that's public here, but it feels like there was an error in judgment made, because here's how I imagine this went down. Let's assume that some OWL team did 
acquire LW Blue, and it was a case where it was the sole team there. Now they just feel uncomfortable having sister teams competing because that doesn't, you've had sister teams compete at Apex before. It'd be a little bit weird if that was a deal breaker. But assuming that wasn't the case, you would have to think that some North American OWL franchise got LW Blue. And the reasoning was, well, we want to get them acclimated to living in North America and we want to do this as soon as possible. I don't know if the benefits of that come anywhere close to the benefits of competing in a full apex season if you're getting ready to prep for overwatch league so maybe there's a good reason but on face value it seems like something is being valued more highly than a full season of apex practice which doesn't seem great okay flame what do you think all right i'll put on my uh what's the word like the tinfoil um so like so I have this thought too, because in NA right now, there's like a weird thing going on where like a lot of contenders teams are getting poached and like broken apart in the background by like owl orgs, like trying to get the players for their teams. And it's kind of creating like, I think it's going to create this like massive rift as we get to the end of contenders where like a lot of the teams aren't even really teams anymore. And they're just kind of stuck playing together because they have to. Um, I mean, as bad as I used to say, I think that that's like a reality. Um, I think maybe LW Blue might be in a similar situation and instead of continuing into it, they're already committed and they just don't want to be in that situation where they're playing Apex with a squad that's not going to stay together. That makes sense to me as the only reason why you would do that because, again, it doesn't make sense for them to be leaving at the same time mm -hmm. if, like, the, there is no overlap. So I would imagine that maybe, like, half of them maybe are getting poached and they already agreed and maybe, like, there's a hmm. problem there. That's the only thing that makes sense in my head. Okay, so where do you think they're going? Or at least, where do you think maybe the majority of the team's going? What's your guess, at least, if you were to speculate? But uh, I mean, there's only, like, two orgs, I think, right now that are... Or three that are, like, question marks, right? There's, like, the second LA squad, mm -hmm. the one that's the Cronkies, and then you have Huck's team, and then you have Barehands' team. So I'd imagine one of the three, if they're not, like, the backup squad for Lunatic High or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, you could go down the list, and you can create some likely prospects, but actually reading the tea leaves and going, it's this team without directly talking with those orgs and being like, well, did you do it? And then finally ruling it out until you get to the one that says, I can't tell you. And it's like, well, ever well, everyone else told me they didn't do it. So clearly you're the one that's giving me the glow of my response. Ergo, you are the one. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, sh short of doing some basic detective work, I mean, who knows? Yeah. Speaking of Lunatic High, uh, you know, they had the big press conference, or at least Team Soul had their giant press conference. And no surprise here, I think we all knew that uh, you know, Lunatic High was announced as that team representing them. And so a lot of people have been talking about um, just Lunatic High, you know, moving over here to or moving to L.A. And what type of impact that would have on the team or just generally how would they perform, you know, um, coming over here? Would it be the same dominance that we've seen, you know, with them, you know, winning Apex or at least, you know, that just how they performed in the past and just just winning Apex and things like that? Or would we actually see a an effect with them? living in the U.S. versus living at home and uh, obviously having to practice here and play on the ladder here and all that good stuff. So what do you guys think? I mean, what's your take on Lunatic High moving to L.A. and how do you think they're going to perform in Overwatch League? Well, I think it's a bit of a wild card, right? Where anytime you're changing that many factors where you're bringing a team of six, you're moving them to another country, you're moving them to a country where to be frank in terms of quality of scrims and just ladder play you are taking a dip in player preparation there on face value but we don't know how much of lunatic high's management and coaching staff is going with them we don't know 
how the players will adapt to living in another country. So it's a case where there's a lot of unknowns. You know that you are getting a lot of players that performed at a very high level in Overwatch. You would hope that the team would also be stacking it with depth. So if you do have a few players that perhaps don't perform up to a high level, that you have good backups ready. But like anything else, the answer is we'll see. I don't think, I think the only thing I would say there is that you can't assume that there will be a super high level of dominance, especially when teams yeah. that have no circumstances change for them can fade rather quickly, as we've seen with Rogue. Yeah, I mean, we just watched them lose to MVP Space, and I thought MVP Space like completely outplayed them, to be honest, throughout that series. So, like, the team's already on its... I mean, obviously, they swapped out Guido for Tasian, but I think it's if you're going to... meta, too. I mean, with... with yeah, but base, you also have to realize that, like, the meta's going to change, right? And you have Esco, who plays, like, maybe two heroes. You have Guido, who maybe plays, like, two heroes. I mean, it's not... Gonna, it's not I don't know if it's going to be a problem, but it's weird to me that you had this opportunity right now to, like, rebrand or, like, rebuild, and you didn't. You know, like, the South Korean Overwatch team for World Cup isn't... Lunatic High, like, there's a reason why it's not Lunatic High. And there's a reason why, like, teams are getting made, you know? Like, I feel like you could upgrade Lunatic High and keep their core, but they didn't. So I think if you're, like, a Western team now, you're saying, like, okay, like, that's a lot less scary than what it could have potentially been, at least in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah. that's how I view it. The other thing i point out here, too, is that I think it's somewhat of a misnomer to think that your best OWL teams will be teams that just run a core of six starters, period. Realistically speaking, I think the teams that will do really well in Overwatch League will be the teams that have at least eight to ten players that are being swapped in at least on situational basis ease alone. So the sort of the era of we have six players who are doing really well, we're not swapping much at all or rarely if that, that entire era of Overwatch is going to end. So you're going to see teams with far more specialized practice, uh, more depth to the rosters and otherwise. So e even if you do like grab some of the best players from Lunatic High, you're still going to need to grab other pieces to compete in sort of this new Overwatch era. So again, there's a lot of potential there. There's a lot of good players, but we'll, we'll see where it goes. They did say it's the first six, and I think that they were saying that there's going to be another six. But in my opinion, I don't, I feel like a 12-man situation is a lot of people. I mean, I don't, that's just my opinion on how it works. Like, could you imagine having to like manage two teams at once? I feel like that's like, I think that's a lot. Like, that's that's a lot of people <laughs> yeah, to like worry about, and a lot, lot of people of, to, like plan for, and a lot yeah. of people like worry. Like, there's so many. Like, every time you add a new piece to like a, a pre-existing puzzle, it starts getting a little bit shakier, and like, there's more room for disruption. I don't know. It's, it's well, it that's seems where, hard. That's where management and coaches are going to matter so much in actually, right? Where you take a look at traditional sports, you have large coaching staffs that help manage something like even an NBA team that has a smaller roster or, God forbid, an NFL team with 53 players. You have a lot of personnel to help manage that and get the most out of it. And I would think that for Overwatch League, the teams that are able to not only have a good coach but good supporting staff to keep – all that in line to have good strategies for different maps and like actually make the most out of what you can actually do in the setup. Those teams are going to do well. Mm -hmm. The teams that aren't able to get strong management, strong coaching and can't really make do with extra resources while well, they're going to fail. Even if they're starting six, have incredible talent. I still think 12 is too many though. Like there's going to be, unless you're going to like split it up into like two and you're going to have like two sets of everything. Maybe that's doable. And yeah, but even if you have shit, two sets, but, <laughs> I mean, we're not talking about like this, grueling you know 120 game season like a baseball team or even like the 82 game season the basketball team you know we're talking about a season that's not going to be that bad. like you're not going to need to sub in like a, a whole team I'm, you're only going to be D subbing players i i would be very shocked 
if they sub in like mass amounts of people depending on i mean maybe it's a scheduling thing like they can't travel but the first season it's all in la so it's like it, there's not going to be an issue in that that regard okay so you're almost making a player fatigue argument here and i'm making a this but is a game strategic. with a lot it's of like 12 people though it's like i mean yeah there's something to be said about the same court like five six guys playing together and just getting that chemistry if you're constantly swapping people out like you're not getting that at, at least Chairman, at a, I, a faster rate i can already give you some good examples where it'd be viable and this is just with this meta right now that right. has less heroes than what we're going to be seeing soon and honestly where teams haven't explored it to give you an example there's players right now in the category of let's look at pharaohs right you have extremely good pharaoh players that in cases aren't really good at other heroes at time to time, but would be very much worthwhile in either swapping in against a team that is historically somewhat weaker against Farah's, or on maps that are really generous to fair play, or compositions that are good to fair play. So already, like in that case alone, you already have an example for having a fair specialist on your team if your main projectile DPS isn't that. I would argue that given the different combinations that you could get with hit scan projectile dps that you would very much be well suited to having an extra hit scan dps and an extra projectile dps and making sure that at least one of your two in each category is good at genji and tracer respectively so you add those on there suddenly your roster of six already is up to nine potentially depending on the strengths of right. your players and then you get to all the other areas where you can have hero specific mercenaries there's a lot of ways of making a larger roster work and if you have someone intelligent behind the scenes managing this, you're going to find ways to make that work. The idea that, oh, we just have our five core people, this is fine, <laughs> they're not fatigued, whatever, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. So, I, I mean, I get your point in, in an ideal situation. Sure, like on paper, that totally sounds right. That totally sounds possible. But I just don't think that's realistic, at least for a while, for, for teams to be able to pull that off. Even just... From like again, like communication and, and and just familiarity with each other. I mean, you can only practice so many games in a day, and if you're swapping people constantly out, I mean, you're having a different set of six people, you know, playing. I don't know how many. Like, let's just say you play forty games in a day, right? You might have different combinations, like that, or you have the same combination playing. I don't know, maybe ten games a day. I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like that's that's an issue. That's why you need good coaching. Flame, <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. Like, okay, I'm down with like eight. I think eight's my magic number. I, I think nine or ten. I think like nine, I think ten's like pushing it. I think like you could realistically have like two sets of DPS or something, and like maybe you like swap out like the entire setup, and instead of like playing like a one for one kind of thing, like you have like your Farah and like a Genji, and then you have like a Tracer and something else, and maybe you like keep your core, and then everyone else swaps depending on like. How you're gonna do it, or like what you're maybe if you're losing, you're like, all right, well, our tracer 76 combo is not working, let's try the fire Genji. And like, maybe that's a cool idea, <laughs> yeah, yeah you I can, can do see that. that, yeah. But like, 12 man, 12 is like 12 is like you're scrimming against yourself, like, that's that's like to the point where what do you like, how many people, how many people realistically do you need? Like, are you gonna pick up like a Genji main and then only swap him in when you need Genji? And then the enemy team just knows, like, okay, they're probably running Genji, or else they wouldn't have put this guy in. And then like the game gets really wonky at that point. Like, I don't even know if we're at a point where we have more than like one tactical pause per series. So like, that's all. <laughs> okay, that's, like, first of all, do not call that tactical pause. Time out. Go, go. They are time <laughs> out. 
Not tactical pauses. I know. That I'm, just off the, I'm just reading like, off the Apex screen. Whatever. I, I agree, but I'm just saying, like, unless the <laughs> game is at a point where I'm allowed to, like, get eight people sitting at the desk and I can, like, randomly sub them out during a series, like... <laughs> that would be hilarious, dude. Be also, awesome. let's keep in mind that given the signing windows and all the rest, you are... It's likely that you'll... On your given roster, you'll have, like, eight to nine players that are actually actively used and then people that are there... In case shit happens or a player suddenly goes down or like just replacements, period. It, like to use an example, if you go back to I think like the 2007-2008 era Celtics, you need your Brian Scalbrinis, the people that <laughs> see almost no play time and the only come favorites. out every now and then. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, sure. No, I mean you are gonna need those players just as backups, right? So I would think you would be maybe a few Overwatch League teams will end up without a full roster, but you'd want to have a full roster of 12 just for that reason alone in case people end up falling out and you need to replace them and but you need to situation. pay them man can't you just like go grab somebody <laughs> that's true that yeah i mean that and how, it's well there's a signing hard. window there will be a point where you can't add people to your roster mid-season like they're treating this more as if it were a traditional sport you can't go right now like it is and say contenders and go oh let's just grab this dude who's not on a team this is gonna be fine there there are signing windows here so yeah. you're going to need to grab people just in case even if they don't see much play time yeah yeah that's i guess i guess keeping players happen <laughs> too that are like at the end of the bench i guess just being in overwatch league is just where you want to be like just you'd be happy well, right I, like, I guess from, from that standpoint you probably would almost want 12 because at least then like everyone's playing instead of like having two dudes that are probably just sitting there like you know, it's my turn, guys. You know, like it's like go, guys. Like give massages and you know, like, like make sure you're like all ready. <laughs> that's sort of thing. Yeah, like that's that's where it gets funky. But also in chat, know. I just want to say so much love to uh, MF Doomfist for also remembering the Brian Scalbrini era and then calling him what he was, which was the human victory cigar. Thank you so much for that comment. You brought <laughs> joy what, to my life. That's what they called him. I never. <laughs> That's funny. That's that. That's definitely a great. I mean, he did there. usually come out with the Celtics were leading by twenty or thirty points and could not lose the game, and they were resting Garnett, Pierce, and Allen. Just like yeah, Ryan Scalabrini was that guy. I think at one point they even had a like a video series or some kind of TV series where they would have him walk into some random gym and you know Ryan Scalabrini. <laughs> nobody knew him. Like nobody recognized his face, or at least not a lot of folks that that don't watch basketball. And then they they'd be like, "This is white guy walking in, and like he looks completely out of shape." And then he would just be destroying <laughs> people. And there was like basically a bet every time he would walk in a gym, and and they would just be you know punking people basically with Ryan Scalabrini. It was so funny. Um, but okay, well, anyways, I think a roster. So you think big roster is going to play a a big part here? Um, uh, so I, I guess we'll have to see what ends up happening with Lunatic High. I, the reason I brought up the question is just because I, you know, there was obviously something or like on Timu stream, Timu actually doesn't think they're going to be doing well. You know, I, just the whole not living at home is a big factor for them. And I mean, I, mean, I think Timo, Timo still has like PTSD from the hotel. So like, <laughs> I think he's kind of just like thinking like the same things going to happen <laughs> okay, to the, okay. all the teams in Cali. Sure. People like talking about the biggest fights in Overwatch history, and Timu versus OGN Hotel is definitely up there. <laughs> Apparently, it was a very, Round it was actually one. fairly nice lodging, <laughs> from what I've heard from more objective sources. But it is, it gets a bit much to live there for eight to nine months. Oh man, I've died living in a hotel for eight or nine months in a, another country. Um, but all right, no, another bit of news here is uh, we've got some. We got some players leaving teams, and actually some people leaving teams just really because they 
they they want to focus on streaming to some extent. And then we've got some pe people looking for teams. So let's start off with the t folks leaving. Harblue steps down from NRG to focus on uh, streaming. He's still taking offers from folks, but it does sound like he's wanting to focus more on his stream. So um, what do you guys take from this in, in terms of Harblue and Overwatch League? I mean, he's, he sounded super burnt out in his stream and like, yeah. interviews, though. I think it's more, I don't know, NRG was kind of a mess for a while, like to put it lightly. Yeah. And I think he kind of got stuck riding this sinking ship that kept sinking for a very, very long time. And now he's like at the point where he's like, I'm done. You know, I want to. Tired of answering these questions. Yeah. 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 And I'm tired of like, you know, just being a part of something that's not like giving back what he, what he put in. So I think it's just him saying like, I need to, you know, I need a break. Mm hmm. You see it happen with a lot of players where if they get stuck on team rebuild after team rebuild, that they hit a point where they, as Flay mentioned, you do need a break. Now, whether or not uh, Harb will be coming back at some point, who knows? It is known, though, that when you get really entrenched in the streamer life, it is difficult to make a comeback to competitive. And th this is, on a side note, this kind of reminds me of the idea where I don't think you're going to be seeing a lot of players that are actively playing on uh, OWL teams putting in tons of stream hours because anytime you're doing streaming, it's not as good as actual practice for one, but it still contributes to your burnout meter. So it, it really is hard if you're someone who has a really big stream, because if you want to go super hard in the Overwatch League, it's going to be pretty hard to be active at Overwatch League while still keeping a good stream schedule. Not impossible, but I think very few people will manage to ride that line and then actually perform well in their owl matches. Yeah. I could yeah, I definitely see that. Um, let's see another couple of players looking for teams right now. Only God leaves uh, Toronto Esports and is looking for a team. And then Tailspin uh, even tweeted uh, today that he was looking for a team. So a lot of folks I think are um, you know happy to see Tailspin you know actively looking for a team now versus you know just kind of hanging out and, and waiting. Uh, so what do you guys think? I mean, it's think it's a little late. Yeah, uh, that's what I was You know thinking. what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't it's know. Like, like, come on, dude. It's like, 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 all right, dude, months, cool. Like, you're looking for a team. Like, yeah. where the hell have you been for the past eight months? Like, I mean, that's how I looked at it. Yeah. There's been a lot of opportunities, I think, for a lot of these players. And even the ones that haven't been playing on teams have been putting in the hours to, like, you know, scrim and, like... Yeah, he got to invest there. some time into it leading into Overwatch League versus... Yeah. Oh, what's going to happen? Somebody pick me up. It's like, oh, well, it's here. Yeah. Time to look for it. Like, you know, like that's not, yeah. That, that's how I look at that. Tailspin's always been a player that's had tons and tons of potential. Just outrageous amounts of potential. I don't know if he's lived up to that potential in Overwatch. I think right now, if I were someone making Owl Team, I would still consider him and just sort of the fairest spot because his ability to play fair is still, like, incredibly Godly. legitimate. It, yeah. was, mm -hmm. it was ridiculous a year ago. If you've seen recent footage of him, he still has an incredibly good Farah. And I think he's worth considering for a team for that alone. But again, this goes back to the entire idea of depth on Overwatch League spots because you need someone that can play a whole bunch of things really well. And I think Tail can get back to that level. But for now, I think he's sort of in the, I want to pick up this guy for a good Farah slot right now. That's his best bet. I mean, really, <laughs> just going off that reputation and and just even just what you see right now. So, um, you know, I'd like to see Tailspin on a team. You know, that'd be, that'd still be great to see because, uh, you know, some of the, I think the most, the the best memories I have of, of Overwatch you have, were from beta and uh, Tailspin was a large part of some of those. So um, it'd be good, definitely good to see. 
Uh, any other bit of news? I feel like I feel like as I have to look at Reddit just to make sure there isn't anything else that happened like while we're while we've been uh, on air. But I, I don't think there's anything else for now. So uh, why don't we move on to uh, an event? Overwatch Contender Season One. Um, obviously, ZP, you've been um, uh, watching. I mean, everybody's been watching, obviously. And uh, so what do you guys think so far of, uh, I guess, the the matches? Let's just talk about the matches first. So NA, we've seen Rogue Luth already, uh, Envious, Foro Immortals, which was, I think, a lot of people wanted to see that matchup in the first week and, and see how it panned out, given that Immortals was, was very hot, you know, coming uh, into this first season. And Envious coming back from Korea, you know, and, and seeing how, how those two kind of line up. Uh, so first impressions of what you saw from NA. Well, for starters, all the rumors whispers about Rogue and how they're performing behind the scenes did turn out to be true. They mm -hmm. definitely are off their game right now. And I think it's a mix of factors here. I mean, Flame, you could agree or disagree with me here. Uh, once I finish this, you know, gave this out, but it's like, I feel like, for Rogue, it's a combination of factors. One is that they are playing sloppier than they used to. And I mean, take your pick for reasons as to why that may be. Too much time on top, not enough time practicing uh, post-Korea, whatever. They, they're definitely a little bit off. But the other part here is that when Rogue was really crushing people, they were crushing people back when people weren't all that accustomed to deal with dive comp. There wasn't the amount of just crazy good tracers. Soon was in a class of his own, and now he's in a class of many other really good tracers. It's not He's not the only godlike tracer in town. And what that means is that people have gotten very used to isolating a superstar tra tracer. They've gotten better at dealing with rogue-style play in general. And now we're also heading to a meta where you might not want to always run a rogue-style dive. So I feel like a lot of factors have sort of combined here to give rogue a hard time. Um, okay, so I think there's like multiple pieces here because we saw them in China. Or yes, you were, were you there? I don't, I don't remember. No, and I wasn't. No, I have yeah, So I was there, and they were like, they were very, um, they like they weren't motivated, you know, when they were there, and they like almost lost a few games and like had a rough time actually getting. I mean, they won all of their series, but it wasn't like the cleanest wins, and you you could kind of tell that they weren't really feeling it. Um, but I think that they're in a spot right now where they're not announced for Overwatch League, and I think that that's like super. Uh, on their minds at all times and like trying to figure out how they're going to get there. Um, they're also a team that did, I mean, to ZP's point, they did abuse the fact that they did have that high skill, like aiming and stuff like that. And we did see soon actually fall off for a little bit, but I felt like soon actually had like the best performance of like anyone this week, or you can make a case for him having like one of the best individual performances. Like his tracer was on point again, which was nice because he had been playing a lot more passive and a lot mm -hmm. less risky, but he was getting away with it and he was winning his duels and he was hitting some incredible bombs. But yeah. again, they were a team that was never known for their alt management. Um, and now teams are getting really, really good at it. Like teams aren't making the same mistakes where they double support alt during fights and teams aren't blowing their primal rages to not stall the cart anymore. And teams aren't, you know, like, Everyone has a plan now, and they, like people are just getting a lot more refined in their gameplay. And Rogue was never that team that was really good. They were like the team that would just, at least at the economy, like they were always just like, all right, we're just going to burn ults to delay the car, and we're going to burn ults to win fights, like even if you shouldn't. And they just kind of relied on mechanics. And then now you have teams that are catching up in mechanics and then surpassing them in alt economy, and suddenly they get a lot less scary. And to that point, the reason why teams have gotten better at alt economy and all the rest is that they've been playing against variants of the rogue comp as it was called over and over again for the last few months where mm -hmm. you look at EU contender season zero, most of the teams were 
effectively rogue running at varying different levels of skill. So at this point, no one is particularly surprised at dealing with the, that particular comp. And as you mentioned, they've gotten much better in the alt economy sense and yeah. managing their fights and dealing with it. So you combine all these factors where you mentioned just the internal stress on rogue for wondering about OWL stuff and it, everything else that's combining here. It's just, it's this perfect storm to give rogue less than great results relative to what they had a month or two ago. Well, well, worrying about OWL, I mean, don't you think performing well in contenders is probably the best thing to do right now? If you're if you're worried about that and trying to get, you know, just have people just make a definitive decision on you, they don't, they're not going to split up that team. I don't think. Like, if they do, it'll be like one or two players leaving, not the whole squad. And like, I think they're kind of banking on Rogue getting like an org. There's a few teams I think that are just like Envy's not announced right now, right? Like, they don't have a city. Like, I think Envy and Rogue are in that same position where they're both... I, th I would assume Envy's got something going on, Like, but I haven't heard anything through the grapevine about Rogue. Um, there hasn't been any leaks about Rogue. I don't actually know anything, but, well, you know, it's like... This doesn't help either, though. You know, I, I wouldn't assume Rogue no, stays together. I, I was just going to note here. I would note or assume that Rogue stays together because, in the end, I feel like if you don't have an immediate suitor trying to grab them... And you have, say, in mm -hmm. OWL org, go up to say soon and go soon. We want to pay you $100,000 a year to be part of us right now. No, we don't want to take, you know, we'll take AKM, but maybe we won't take like some of the other people. Yeah, I heard, whatever. Well, I heard Rogue has them on like very fat buyouts. Ah, like fat buyouts. So it's like, it's a weird spot for them to be in, I think, right now. So are you saying then that it would be a case <laughs> where just for buyouts alone, you would want to leverage Rogue into buying out all of them for a lesser fee rather than just buying one piece and <laughs> you know, I just I just think one sale. I think that they're in a spot where they want their own city, you know, like they want to represent I like I don't know, like if I'm them I want to go to Paris, right? Like France has been behind them the entire way. They have like that Avecla 6 thing where like their entire country okay. is like hashtagging their games and stuff. Like if I'm them I want Paris to buy me and I think that like that's on my plate right now and I think that they're focusing on like I don't know if they're focusing on that, but that's what I'm thinking if I'm rogue. Okay, so you're saying then that, you know, for me, I, I don't know where Rogue stands all that, but you're just assuming then that Rogue will get funding for an OWL spot and okay. that, and they'll just stick together like that. I mean, that's very I well can't imagine that that's not what they're pushing for. Okay. Well, I'm sure they're pushing for it. It's just, I feel like they're, you know, their window is shrinking just because they're not helping themselves. Of course. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, but at the same time, it's like, they're not going to invest, you're not going to invest in coaching if you don't have a slot right now. And like, they have a coach but they clearly need more alt economy time or they need to care more currently. I think that they're still like in that spot where right now nothing, like I think they're going to come back next week and be really good. I don't think losing week one for them is a big deal. I think like you can chop down their game mistakes to like a few really big moments. Um, like, I, I mean, obviously Envision played out of their minds, like not to yeah, take anything they played from Envision. Awesome. They did play but, um, like you, you did have Rogue like trying like it, whenever it cams on Fire, you're just kind of like, okay, I don't, I don't like this, you know. And they keep like they keep doing it, and then they'll lose, and then you're like, okay, did they really need to do that, you know? So like, it's always like there's always a reason for a loss, and there's always like times where you can be like, oh, we couldn't fix this, but I don't see this team like getting rolled over for the rest of the contenders. Like, I don't think that that's a thing. The other thing that I think is probably worth noting here too, and you know, it might just be one member, but it is a factor is that not every member on Rogue is 100% focusing on Overwatch right now. They are yeah. some of them are playing other games. That is a well known fact. That's why they have a sub coming in for week number two and for win. It's a Colsty coming in for wins. So, anytime you have a situation where not everyone is on the same page, and as a result, you're not getting practice with all six members as frequently as you would like, that's also going to hurt your team pretty badly.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess talking about any of the other matches, anything stand out here? Um, you know, the Phase FNR GFE matches. I think it was a, a very entertaining one. Lots of uh, Team USA players in that matchup, so that was a lot of fun. And Kangarna too. You know, I mean, Renegades. You know, obviously probably not one of the strongest teams in this group, but uh, Kangarna had looked pretty solid just going 4-0 against them too. I mean, Renegades look pretty. Uh... Renegades, like they had, yeah. they had, they had, they had that, Renegades. That game, I mean, it, not even bad. It was just like you make one mistake at the wrong time, like one massive mistake at the wrong time, and suddenly you lose a map. And that happens to them twice in the series. And then if that happens to you twice in a row, and you're like, so the thing with those series is that you lose the three maps, and it's already a loss. So then you wind up in the fourth map where now it's like, okay, even if I win this, I still lost. So like, if you lose those two maps the way that they lost those two middle maps, which was like the we're not just gonna, we're just not going to touch the point on Volskaya, and we're gonna. <laughs> Like, yeah. they couldn't execute the Graviton <laughs> Death Blossom combo on King's Row. Like, that's super, super demotivating. So, like, that series was 4 0, but it wasn't like, a, it wasn't, it, was, it didn't feel like a 4 0. It didn't look like a 4 0. Like, it was still a really good match. Mm-hmm. And I did think that Kungarna played really well and, like, Retsy played really well. I thought that was really cool that they brought him I, in. I was really glad to see Retsy there, though. Let's go to the sort of big <laughs> issue here for Renegades yeah. and roster swaps in that the best Diva player on Renegades was Jesus period. He was their best diva player. And I look, I don't, I'm not going to even attempt to decipher whatever politics were going on within Renegades, but I know that if you've hit a situation where you're putting Mangachu on diva over Jesus, something has been messed up here. And, you know, again, maybe it's a case where Mangachu is doing more of the calling, etc. But that's a really big positional mismatch when you're throwing Mangachu on diva versus Bishu on diva. It just is. Bishu is a much better tank in that role, and that definitely was not doing Renegades any favors in this matchup. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Re- Renegades have been kind of plagued by roster swaps ever since they like got rid of Man of Snow during whatever tournament that was where they were like doing well, cut him, and then lost out. It was a little weird. Yeah. But they'll figure out what they're doing, I guess, eventually. Is anybody going to push Envy in this, in this uh, contenders? I mean, any of these seven teams going to push Envy? I mean, Immortals underperformed 100%. That that match wasn't Immortals' best. No, Envy looked really strong, for sure. <laughs> I mean, everyone played incredibly well on Envy. It was like a very clean. Like I was surprised at how clean it was, given like the way Timo talked about them going into it. But like Immortals really was not like the Immortals that I expected in that match in particular. So it was a 4-0, but it wasn't like a. I didn't. I didn't feel the Immortals, you know, in that match. Immortals is the Rocky of Overwatch right now, and they've been doing this for all 17, where they will start a tournament and play like crap. Like, they will not start out tournaments well, but then they'll make an adjustment. Uh, of course, in Contender Season Zero is a roster change, but they'll make some adjustments and suddenly go from, oh, we're getting wrecked, to, wait, we're actually really good again. I, I wouldn't worry too much about Immortals in the long term. And to what Flame was saying, Envy, even though they looked really good, I don't think their future run-ins with the mortals will be as easy. And also remember the with how volatile Overwatch has been, we've seen upset after upset. Envy yeah. is clearly the most battle tested and absolutely the favorite, but there's no guarantees that you keep that status over a six-week tournament. Even though I do think in Envy's case, they're probably I don't see them going any lower than four. Yeah, I mean, I think the best match of the week was I mean, I guess the Envision Rogue one was good, but from a like level of play and like learning, I would say like the phase FNR mm-hmm. match was yeah. like super high level in terms of the way that they were like all playing. Like it was like a, it was kind of a slugfest between like Carpe and Clockwork for a while, and then like <laughs> that's right. I think the, I think the supports on FNR GFE are super good and like pretty unknown, 
and like fact fiction versus Mumu was also like it's just like a lot of really good, good matchups match in that series. Yeah. Like definitely yeah. like high level is carried by tanks. I feel like more so than anything else. The what Muma and Matt have put together there is very impressive. And if you take a look at the average fight that breaks down there, it's usually either Muma or Matt that get opening kills versus it being Clockwork or Buds. I do think Buds was a bit out of his depth when he won Doomfist. It was not <laughs> a good showing for him. He clearly did not have much time on that hero. I, anytime he was on Doomfist, it was not good. Yeah, which... But, which no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, just to shout out to that point, but historically, when you look at FNGFE, they really have made their money off tank play rather than anything mm -hmm. else. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that might be a good segue to what I was going to bring up here, which was Doomfist, you know, and just the impact on the meta and just people playing it. I feel like the teams that did well had better Doomfist players than the ones that didn't. Did you see that being a trend here, you know, especially in contenders? I mean, we're going to talk about an Apex also, but uh, what have you been seeing, you know, just with, in terms of the meta and it maybe you know, changing up a little bit? Effect and Leaf were great. So, yes, <laughs> yeah, good, right. good Doomfist good doom play is very helpful right now and for two reasons. A, the hero is just probably outright really good in his pre-nerf state. And two is that teams haven't figured out how to play around him. So if you've figured out how to play with him, you're already adding on an extra edge beyond the part where the hero is good to begin with. So yes, get a good Doomfist player. Get one quickly. <laughs> you're probably going to see more of him. Is it fun yeah. to watch? What do you think, Clay? Is it no, fun the hero to watch? is definitely fun to watch. It's just, I mean, is it fun to play against? That's another question. But <laughs> no, I mean, that, like, it's one of those heroes that like people haven't really figured out how to like counter. And I think that that's like whatever... Um, I think Blizzard's obviously, like, aware of that. You know, like, you can run Sombra into it. You can try to run McCree. You can run, like, um, I think Roadhog's actually pretty decent against him, but then you're running Roadhog, and you kind of wind <laughs> up in that spot where you're like, is there a better hero here? But, um, yeah, it's like, teams are, like, I think against Rogue, it looked really good, because that team, again, like, if, I mean, it kind they kind of felt like Lunatic High felt, you know, like, what the hell is this hero, and what do I do? And they just kind of get ran over by it. Yeah, um, it's... And that's like, practice. again, that's like not seeing a lot of it and like not knowing how good effect is. I think effect has like something ridiculous, like an 80% ranked win rate with that hero. So like Dude, just, just having someone points? like that, that's just going to like delete your supports ri ridiculous amounts of times. It's like, it makes the match that much easier for you. So I think as a, again, as the tournament goes on, as we get more patches, like there's a lot of, there, we're about to get like, I think the biggest balance patch we've ever had in terms of like shaking the meta because we've been stuck on dive heroes for like months lord knows how long it feels like it's been like the entire year and like we're finally going to get like these junk rat buffs these roadhog buffs the changes to like i feel like there's oh yeah the diva changes diva like chain, yeah. there's so many things here that are going to be different and i like mm -hmm. i think that that's going to start messing with people's perception of like what's good what's bad and like how to comment stuff yeah all right well let's move on to europe since that that was na uh europe there were some interesting results here. Uh, first off, Misfits 4-0-ing. They're one of their rivals, you know, formerly Laser Kittens C9. Uh, and then we saw E-United lose here, which who I think a lot of people thought were favorites in this contenders for EU. Uh, Gamer Origins uh, taking that spot and obviously uh, you know, really taking advantage of it, taking, winning 3-0, and then 1-2-3, end up 4-0-ing Singularity here. So uh, let's, let's talk about Misfits versus C9 here. Uh, was this a surprise to you guys? Because it was a surprise to me. Not even a little bit. Really? Misfits winning sh should be a surprise, but the one thing, it, we already knew the player was really good, but more so than anything else, it was the Logic show. Yeah, Logic's, the Logic was. We, we, yeah. saw, we saw how unchained he was when supported by a better cast. 
it was one of the best tracer performances you could ever expect to see from a team. And also, you it felt like Tavik had sort of a weight oh, lifted from his shoulders where he didn't have to necessarily be the guy always doing stuff because of how well Logix was playing. And the fact that Logix was that big of a threat did open up Tavik to do more. So just on DPS play alone, Misfits felt far better than what we've seen from them in mm -hmm. recent memory. Yeah. That said, didn't what was who's C9 had Nevix, right? Yes. Yeah. That team, had, that team had like three Gen, the team has like three Genji players now, <laughs> and then they had like Kid playing Tracer, and Kid's not a Tracer player. Like uh, like the roster swaps for both teams were just so heavily in favor of Misfits. Like even having Sushan Winston's a huge pickup because if you have a, if you have someone that played Genji, like the way or the amount that like in my door it might be the British. Hang on. The amount that like <laughs> oh my god, the British are coming. But like the way. When you, when you come from a Genji background and then suddenly you're playing Winston, you know like you know what your dive wants, you know what yeah. your tracer wants, like you know as a Genji how you should play as Winston to like support those two heroes. So like Swoosh making the transition to Winston is like a huge boost, and then like Tavik not really having to play tracer, he's has a phenomenal tracer. But Logix is like yeah, Logix incredible. Is so like incredible. it just it allows Tavik to do what Tavik does, which is like just you know hit the hero switch button and then pick whatever he wants and then make it work and like. <laughs> There's few hero players that can do that right now, and he's definitely one that's best at abusing it. So if you have two really good people playing around him that can like always fill the void no matter what he's playing, it's very guys. Beautiful. I am not destroyed. Instead, yeah. I have some extra people here. <laughs> hey, what's up? They, they can't hear you. Can't hear you. you can't hear us. Oh this my the real god. flame and shaman. Yes. <laughs> yes. Wow. Oh my gosh, we got the whole we got the <laughs> whole whole got, talent cast there. Yes. <laughs> well, you know that. We'll let Brennan in there. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's Brennan, of course. Uh, this is behind Side me. Show and the, the one and only and Gil. Gil. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Are they kidnapping you? I mean, what's the deal, man? <laughs> but um Again, your... we can't hear you i don't know what's going on but <laughs> <laughs> we're just we're just gonna leave you to it i get to contribute yes hello hey, what's up man hello how's nice, it going nice oh. good good man we're just talking some eu overwatch contenders right now <laughs> yeah it's a terrible region <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not really no it's fantastic yeah uh, it's na is definitely the superior region as it stands it used to be a different story but yeah yeah not anymore I'll give you the reasons, but I, you know, I charge twenty dollars an hour, so <laughs> oh my God. he's cheap. Yeah, he's <laughs> cheap, cheap, yeah, absolutely. Cool, man. But, uh, but flame to your. The reason why it's cheap is that it comes down to the part that's all he needs to eat at Wendy's, and yeah. Wendy's actually destroys him more than he destroys it. Like, look, we we were eating at Wendy's yesterday. It was like this tornado of like mayo and frosty everywhere, but in the end, he was <laughs> satisfied. Right. I tried to eat at Wendy's. It's horrible. It just went everywhere. Dude, yeah, Wendy's Wendy's is a place to be, man. It's that's that's it, my go-to yeah, fa definitely. fast food place. That's for sure. It's good. Um, all right, we're gonna leave you to it. We're gonna stop crashing your podcast. <laughs> that's all good. We've <laughs> never been crashed before, well, so this is the first time. There's always right. a first time for anything. Um, bye, bye, guys. No, but Flame, to your point about uh, you know Logics, um, I felt like it was the same type of thing that we saw with Effects, you know, on ND, you know, just freeing up Taimu and then. You just kind of feel that that weight lifted off of them, and just everybody just starts playing amazing. And finally, Tavik, I feel like has a counterpart that can do that for him, and um, it's great, definitely great to see. Pl watching Tavik play, he was playing Doomfist at one point, right? Tavik, I mean, he was just stout on them because he... they were just winning the tracer duel, and like if yeah, you win yeah. the tracer duel that hard, like you, the game just becomes so easy. Like <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. I don't know. 
So, my camera's uh, all messed up now. It, it, it's done it's forever. Fine. It took it's so long fine. to get the without the purple lines, but this is what happened with when the British invade. <laughs> the British invade. Um, okay, so Misfits looking good. Uh, e United. What y'all's take on E United? Just slow start, bad day. E United didn't get to practice for basically a month because of all their players playing in World Cup. If they had mm -hmm. players missing over and over again on that team, so yeah, that's true. I mean, even though Giganti did look very good. Giganti also got a lot more relevant practice leading up to it, like the Asus Rog tournament otherwise, whereas United, again, they were playing on an old patch for a much longer period of time. Yeah, it's and all about context. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, team and, go ahead. United died for Team UK. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, died for UK. Well, UK had a good showing, so maybe it was worth it. Who knows? Oh, it was definitely worth it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you think, guys? Think about the rest of them. Singularity, 1, 2, 3, Gamer Origins, Bazooka Puppies. Anything stand out for you guys? I thought, well, Gamers Orgy, I think, outperformed expectations more so than Bazooka Puppies scoring, but it was really a uh, tough go for Bazooka Puppies. But more so than anything else is that I think Ube and Kensi are two of your most volatile players, period. And Kensi basically didn't show up at all that entire series, and Ube was only mildly there. It was, what Bazooka Puppies does well, they need Kenzie and Ube to have very strong games, and it was somewhat anything but well, they were getting doom fisted i think the entire tournament like, and they didn't know how to deal with wrong, it wrong man okay <laughs> well yeah but like they didn't they like that was really it was, again like we're gonna start seeing upsets again like around that hero it's just like people not knowing what to do against it and if you have that one player that can pick it and do well with it then suddenly like you're gonna start winning games and that was kind of what happened i felt like during the bazooka puppies match yeah just all those all those People that are quick to pick up Doomfist right now, man, you gotta get those wins in now, you know, before people reacting. On that know. note, I do yeah. wanna, I don't, I don't wanna complain because I'm, I've turned over a new leaf. But on the topic of rank decay, reformed, yeah, I'm oh, reformed. Boy. On the topic of rank decay, uh -oh. when, you're, when you're climbing, it doesn't matter if you lose. Like when you're coming back from your decay, because you only lose like two points per game, but you gain like forty. So like that's like the best. I, I've just been playing Doomfist. Like I don't care if I lose, I lose five points. So like I'm I'm like ruining. I'm not ruining them on purpose. But like if I'm having a bad game on Doomfist, I'm not getting punished for it. So I think that we have to talk about. We have to talk to Blizzard about that because I think it's a little weird that I can do that. But so so basically, when you screw up on Doomfist, oh, you want to be tanked to the center of the earth. You no, just... I, but like I'm saying, like the game's giving you 70 points per win, but taking away two for a loss. So why wouldn't you play a hero that you're not comfortable on just to see if you can get good at it then? True. So like it's a oh, weird boy. Thing. I'm just throwing oh that boy. out. You're, just, you're encouraging more I mean, people. Are you sure that... Uh, well, I found a flaw, you know? I, got just, yeah, like, I found yeah. a flaw in the system. There you go. Okay. Okay. The point is, I've been getting pretty good at it. The hero's good, and, like, <laughs> the alt is really strong. You can, like, land on health. You can, like, go in, use all your spells, come out, get a health pack with your alt, and then go back and do it again. That's ridiculous. It's so you're losing a bunch of games, but you're not trying to lose that's no, I'm not trying to lose a bunch of games, but I am losing a bunch of games. And I'm only losing like two SR per game, so it's like you yeah, know, it's there's, really there's no risk. But remember, if you get teamed up with Flame, you're gonna lose like 40 SR a game. <laughs> I, think so, I, I think I'm done get, for the season. I've been your... chilling, dude. Get Flame on your friends list, and then make sure when he's in queue, you're not in queue. Well, that only works or, until you or get back your to your SR number. is going to get hit by the fence. No, 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 no. I'm I'm done. I climbed. Like once you climb, it stops working. But like that whole gap between like three thousand and four thousand, where you're like trying to get back through diamond then you can just do it okay okay well uh there's definitely some season six stuff that we didn't talk about that was um i guess announced in the developer update uh, an hour or two ago before before i set in stone these notes so maybe we'll talk about it in q a here but let's talk about apex season four real quick before we do 
and uh, it's in full swing. Been a few matches already. Um, I think the most notable one to talk about is just the Lunatic High one, given that they're defending champs and obviously Team Soul and everything with them. And um, they ended up playing MVP Space. They ended up losing to MVP 3-2 in a really, really tight series. So, um, big, you know, there are some changes there. Lee Tejan, like you mentioned before, Flame back on Lunatic High, you know, Guido and who, obviously who are you, you know, on the bench right now. Um, what what do you see here? I mean, is the Lunatic High getting off to a slow start like they always do? <laughs> or is uh, a little bit more to it? And, you know, you were alluding to just, you know, maybe a little bit more too, just in terms of um, just compositions and stuff. My baseline initial thoughts, I mean, obviously, like I think there's going to be multiple factors, but MVP space came out with some really good compositions for this meta, particularly the Farrah Doomfist setups yes. were really good. Like those were excellent to watch. And there's multiple reasons why that's going to be effective. Not the least of which is that if you're looking to the sky to deal with the Farrah, you're not looking for the Doomfist <laughs> and vice versa. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very powerful double threat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, like, it was like Shades of Season 1, because I remember Season 1, there was like this match on King's Row. I think it was Old Rogue. I, I want to say it was Old Rogue or whatever team they were, Misfits, whatever team Tivik was on, where like they played King's Row, and it was Tejan and Eska versus like Tivik's Farah, and they couldn't... Eska was like playing Maze, so it made Tejan play McCree, and then Mac, like Tejan couldn't kill Tivik's Farah, and like... It wound up in this spot where Tavix Fire just shit on the entirety of Lunatic High on King's Row because they could not kill it. And it was the same thing here because, like, now you have Eska playing Sombra. So then Tejan's <laughs> back on Hitscan, and he's the only one that can kill this Fire. <laughs> he doesn't have that, like, Taimu good aim, you know, like, that's just going to take the Fire out of the sky. So, like, the team just got abused by the fact that they could not kill the Fire. And then you had this, like, one fact. One fact one, was just, just one shotting everybody yeah. to the point where I'm sure, I am sure. Like Jay Hong and Toby were getting tilted because Toby got deleted at least like once every other fight. It was actually <laughs> insane. Well, the other thing too is I'm not even convinced Soldier is like the best hero to be running in a lot of situations against Doomfist where you're not getting no, great sight lines. And a Doomfist yeah. is like in your face. So it, to begin with, you're running a soldier versus a Pharah, and it's not the absolute best soldier you could be running against the Pharah. And then anytime the soldier like runs with the Doom Fist, he just gets immediately wrecked. But, but next week, yeah. Zumba can just go up there and give him the yeah. little magic missiles, you know, and bam, <laughs> magic missiles. <laughs> magic missiles. Can we get Wizard Diva then? <laughs> magic <laughs> missiles. <laughs> And then, and then one for Evox is just throw, rolling a twenty sided die. Like yeah. <laughs> she comes out, she comes She's out already got her with like a with a hat on. I <laughs> rolled. She's 20s. already got her divine <laughs> shield going. I know exactly right. That's uh, hilarious. Okay, so it, it, it was just. I mean, you, what you're saying is it's it's basically roster slash just play there, right? I mean, um, it, I mean, it's, versus yeah, yeah, the it's MVP like it's comp fist, too. Yeah, it's MVP doomfist, comp was great being too, doomfist, yeah. and then it's like. It's like a team that doesn't know how to play against Doomfist, and then it's yeah. like that. I mean, that's what it came down to at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that they tilted the shit out of the supports, though, and I don't <laughs> think the supports on Lunatikai have tilted that hard before. Like you could feel it, and like being able to do that, I think catching them off guard was really, mm -hmm. you know, like it was just good. We'll definitely see how they re uh, recover. They usually react pretty quickly, Lunatikai, so. Wouldn't be surprised this next week, week or two weeks, or or however. I think it's like a week, right, until their next match. Um, should be one that's <laughs> practicing Doomfist play and a countering Doomfist. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, well, let's move on to some Q&A. We actually don't have any questions uh, email-wise. So again, like, go ahead and email those uh, for next week if you do have any questions for us at the overview uh, at chainmanv.tv. But anybody in the Twitch chat have any questions, go ahead and, and write those out. In the meantime, let's talk about some of the um, Season 6 competitive changes that were um, talked about in the developers update. So uh, first off, the seasons will now be two months long instead of three months long. So, um, okay, that, that's a pretty big change. I mean, the fact that it's it's shorter. Do you guys like that or do you think I that's think it's good. Short? And actually, I mean, I'm, I was in the minority on this, but I actually think one of the bigger mistakes that was done and it was, it was done due to feedback and it was being responsive to the feedback, but... I actually did like it back when seasons were just one month long and the back in the beta, because if nothing else, then you're encouraging people to play every month. Three month seasons have definitely been way too long because you get this period where you don't have people trying for a long period of time. And then you finally hit the very last week. And then you have situations where you have reinforced scrambling to go to a land cafe here in Colorado. They like grind this shit up. So I've played with them today, like twice. We won, I think we won both games, but it was again, he's like sitting there doing it. (laughs) But the point is you want to encourage people to have that urgency to play ladder more often than at the final week of a three-month season. So I think the two-month change is good. I would actually be in favor of doing a month and a half. But, you know, two months, step in the right direction. Yeah. And because Uh, of the shorter – oh, wait. Flame, you have something? No, I was going to say, like, Mm -hmm. the way it worked or the way that ranked was is, like, you just – kind well, they fixed two things, right? Like, it's not just the two months. It's the two months plus the better decay. Like, you only decayed 25 now and you only have to play five games a week. Which is like a super huge buff mm, to that yeah, because huge. because like the biggest problem with the three month thing was you didn't even really want to play your placements if you were someone that couldn't commit um, because if you played your placements then you started decaying if you couldn't play and like as someone who spent the entire month of July traveling you come back and you're like all right well now I'm diamond I probably shouldn't have even played my uh, placements or whatever so I think it like get, that gets rid of that the five games is definitely a huge upgrade I mean it, it doesn't feel huge but not having to play those extra two games, I think, is just a lot of leeway. And then yeah. only decaying 25 after that instead of 50 is massive. So I think if they're just trying to get people to play more and not care so much about decay or be less afraid about it. And then also, like, as ZP said, you don't really want to be in a situation where all that matters is that last week. You want mm-hmm. people to be like, oh, shit, I only have, like, six weeks to get my SR up. Because, I mean, you can have those weeks where you drop 300 and then the next week you only gain 200, you know? So right. it just they just want people playing more. And I think that this is a good way to do it. All right. One of the biggest things right here, wait for it, guys, right here. Placement matches uh, shall now lead to more accurate skill ratings and no more getting ranked lower than last season, which thank God they've changed that because I I just never understood why. I mean, I, I understood their thinking and their logic well, behind it. I just didn't un- understand why they did it, though. It's just like, I mean, people feel bad, man, when well, they start lower than they did. Well, why are you entitled to be at the same rank? I mean... The, here's the problem. Why are you even having placements to begin with? Because the entire point for placements... Uh, no, no, no. Okay, okay. So They should be something that they place higher or lower. But the way you said that was just like uh, the air of the time. is like, no, I no, deserve no. to be at the no, exact no. same so rate what, as last what, season. What I, what I like, mean is that they were purposely putting us lower yes. than, than we were the previous season. That's what I was getting at. Not so much... I mean, if you lose all your placement matches, everyone you deserve knew that. to be lower. Everyone knew that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah but like, everyone, it didn't matter if everybody knew that. They still, It still feels bad. You know what I mean? And... There were so many complaints about it, even on my oh. other show. Over, oh, I think that constantly. their next their next step for season seven is got to be upping that SR number because, like, I don't know. I think that the gap between like four thousand and forty four hundred is like massive in terms of skill. <laughs> so, yes, like, which yeah. is like Dear- something that's like much bigger. Like that gap 
And like, honestly, if you start going into masters, it, it feels like gold sometimes. And like, it's what? really bizarre. Really? Dude, there's like some, like I've seen, I've played in gold games before. Like I've seen, I've watched streams of people in gold games. And like, you get some games in masters. It's like Bastion, Junkrat, Symmetra <laughs> offense. And you're like, okay, I don't understand what's happening. No tanks, no, no yeah, no support. tanks, no healers. Yeah. Like just like bots just coming down, coming out of spawn and dying. And like, <laughs> I don't know how it happens, but it does happen. And like, I think that that's, like I think that the, I think that that number needs to be bigger. I think like the five thousand needs to be like six or seven, and like there needs to be like a more distinct gap between like you know what yeah. I mean. Well, yeah, there I should be like gates. Not. There should be like you have to win five games in a row to break from three thousand, like from thirty nine ninety nine to four thousand or something. You know, like oh some God. sort a of boss like at every, every yeah, like a final <laughs> boss at every five hundred oh or something. Gosh, like the gatekeeper. I, I will, I'd hate that dude. That would. Suck. Well, I think I just acknowledge real quick. Uh, That's a great question from Legit RC and Chat. That I want to get okay. to when we're great. doing this. So mm-hmm. let, let, throw that at me after. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Let's see any of the other things here. Okay, control maps will now be best of three versus best of five. So that's um, just parody. Good. Yeah. I think it's better for tournaments and like timing and spectators and stuff. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, control is the biggest wild card in tournament timing, especially uh, when you would run like open bracket tournaments way back in the way. But it still rears its head now and how people are playing, where there's a big time gap between three out of five, where it goes to five and it's really close back and forth to a 3-0 stomp. So this is just good for consistency in tournaments, period. Well, the one thing I don't like about it is I think think they're going to have to make the maps a little bit longer because the one thing that was good about best of five and, like, it's kind of a shame that there's not, like, a best of six technically, you know, because (laughs) I think, like, being able to see... Like, one thing that I really don't like or that I wish existed in Overwatch was, like, in TF2, you could like you would like play the same map three times, and then this way, like as you're going through, the teams start adapting their strategies because they know what the team ran in the previous round. So like if you play Ilios well and then you lose it, if you got Ilios well again, you probably wouldn't lose it as hard because you'd know what they were gonna do and like you could kind of counter strat it in your yeah. head. Yeah. So like there was like a meta that evolved there, and like it's something that doesn't exist in this game because we don't that's not like how the game is played. Like we don't have the stopwatch best of three per map stuff, but like it did exist on well where like a team would run fire the first round and then maybe they wouldn't run it the second round because it got dumpstered and then like that was cool to watch and i think that that was that was like the depth of that game mode so i do think that there should be like a i think the round should be longer or something i, I wouldn't disagree okay. with that and yeah. i mean it is like a trade-off that. right well, I, let's put it this way if you could guarantee that every control would go to five and it would have cool adaptations i'd probably be more against it or changing it i just think the problem is and you know, this is why you've seen tournaments changes otherwise that it's just really variable between your stomps and your closer games on control and just the time difference alone sort of necessitated that being standardized a bit but i do agree it was really cool when you would see a team maybe lose the first two rounds and then go download complete and then just run the table and reverse sweep when that happened it was amazing and it is a little bit sad that that's going away yeah uh, okay, last bit is just for folks that are, you know, obviously trying to farm for your your golden guns. Uh, because the seasons are shorter, there's going to be more competitive points per win, but you're going to get less of a final reward at the end of the season just because it's shorter. So um, try to get as many wins as you can <laughs> during each month. You're going to actually end up better than than before versus just you know trying to get that final tier, um, you know, a huge reward at the end of the season. Um, but I think that's going to be it for the season six one. So that question, let's go into Q and a, you said that, uh, there was a good question in chat. Did you forget it already or no? Oh, no, legit RC. Uh, yeah, there he is. Uh, let's see. Oh, you're gonna have to find it. Let me see. 
I mean, I, I can oh, read off the question. Then. Yeah, says, I, okay. yeah, so it's uh, it's for ZP, and it says, wait, shoot, it scrolled off for me. You read it. Gosh, it keeps it scrolled off my What's the most notable change in your yeah. casting style now? Compared to <laughs> and how and how what do you look to improve on? All right, God damn I really, I, Legit RC asks, I have a question for you. He said how what? He, he messed up his English. Well, I what's the most noticeable change in your casting style now compared to when you were doing the old Ghosty Weeklies? And how... No, it's strong. Exactly. Oh, how, now you know and how do you want to improve? Oh, yeah, Good thing you fixed it. <laughs> whatever Good you know job. what the question is out there so i would say it's multiple different things right but i would say the biggest note for casting is that vocals are very important in casting you want to have consistent flow without uh intermittent stops and otherwise and you also want to vary when you're really really high and crazy stuff is happening versus and now we look back a little bit and here's what's happening i would say my early casting was not anywhere near as fluid as it is today in terms of just vocally going from word to word. And I had a tendency to stay really, really on the high side for the most part. And there's still certain matches nowadays where arguably I stay a little bit too hypey versus balancing it out, but it was a much bigger issue earlier. The other thing that I've gotten a lot better at broadcasting-wise when I compare my older cast to now is framing of the game. I take it very seriously, the give status updates of this is this team, this is what they're looking to do, this is the state they're in now. I always want to make sure that people know the stakes going into a fight. And the reason is, is that if the stakes are defied, that makes it a really, really big deal. For example, if you have a case where one team has five ultimates, the other team only has a pulse bomb, I want to let you know that that team is going to have a very good chance of winning that fight and explain why. The reason is, is because if the other team is somehow able to defy those expectations and bring it back, that's something that I can genuinely get excited about. And then you understand why I'm excited over it because a team just defied the odds. And I mean, I could go on forever yeah, about yeah, that, but sure. that's okay. the, those are the really big points. Okay. Uh, let's see. I Fatcho asks, is Immortals contender success dependent on agility is getting good at Doomfist? Maybe. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that could very well be. I mean, their, their, support, gotta... their supports had some weird decision making. I thought Verbo. I mean, I don't. I'm, I hate saying that players have bad days because it's like rude, but they, they they were not playing up to the par that we wanted, and I don't I don't think we saw the same grim reality tracer that we saw during Contender Season Zero. Mm -hmm. But again, oh. a lot of that is effects on the Doomfist. Also, I don't want to think, think people think that I'm ignoring this one, but when it comes to questions on like other or stuff that's behind the scenes just know that like all casters do try and help each other out and when it comes to who does an event or whatnot there's like a lot of things that go into it and i hardly know everything that it's about it either so i i can't comment on that really uh okay gunsem asks do you think bastion needs a buff that's a we haven't seen a bad. Well, well it, it wasn't that long ago. Bastion got some changes. The hero is good. It's just Sombra's yeah. better. Like that's like the thing. Is like <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. The hero actually just gets dumpstered by Sombra right now, and like Sombra's kind of getting a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, but like specifically those, but specifically those Bastion comps, because like if you hit, if you like just take Bastion's not someone that bursts you. Like you take like normal that like normal damage or whatever so like you don't die you shouldn't like instantly die to a bastion unless you like stand in front of it but you can just like take a little bit and pick up a health pack 
But then generally you're running like Reinhardt and Zarya and stuff, and then all of that gets the impedance which becomes like the most useless comp ever. Yeah. So like I don't think Bastion's bad. It's just like he has mobility issues, obviously, and then there's a lot of heroes that are currently picked normally that like do really well against some like Tracer too. It's just hard. Well, the other thing about Bastion too is that he's a hero that it's very difficult to buff to be viable and really high in play because I might be wrong on this stuff I heard about, but I'm pretty sure he still has a relatively good win rate at gold and below. So you do run into issues with Bastion where if you buff him to be really good for the competitive end, he's just going to be just absolutely rolling the lower end of Overwatch competitive play, which is not a scenario Blizzard wants. That said, I, think, the balance. I don't think you get punched out of turret form. Just FYI. I think like if you just run a Bastion into a Doomfist, okay, you so he can't run into the wall then, right? He can. He's just no. I don't think it. you can punch a Doomfist into a, or punch a Bastion into a wall. I'm pretty sure you can't. Okay. So, so that's just something to keep in mind. <laughs> he's an easy target though. So <laughs> yeah, yeah sure I mean, just, I mean, at that point, running Bastion, but it's like Doomfist yeah. kind of loses his spunk against that hero. So it's yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Okay, speculation mode core. Uh, let's talk about Overwatch League. People are talking about how Huck maybe going for bird ring in for the boston team do you think this will ever happen what do you mean ever like why, why like i mean i'm sure it could yeah like, obviously it could happen but do you think uh, this will happen i guess maybe rephrasing it uh, i've heard rather definitively where bird ring is going and that's why i'm just, like i can't okay. say where where like I, I i don't even want to speculate on the risk of like screwing something up so nope yeah. can't talk so well, no, he's no, going really somewhere. So yeah, he's going. He's definitely going somewhere. He's going <laughs> somewhere. Yes, got, that yes. is accurate. At least we know that, which is not a surprise. Giving the bird ring is amazing. That tracer. <sighs> um, <He's> good. <laughs> let's see. Any other questions? Okay, I don't think there's any any others. Uh, again, if you guys have anything for us, you can always just email that uh, email again at the overview at chimavita.tv, and we'll read them out next week. But uh, that's going to be it, guys. Uh, one quick reminder before we do some shout-outs that uh, the show, you can find the audio versions on iTunes. If you like to listen to your iPad or iPhone while you're working out or on the way to work, you can find us there as well as Google Play if you have an Android phone as well as sound on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash So uh, check that out if you can. And if you enjoy the show, leave a, a rating for us because it helps in terms of SEO on all, a lot of these uh, you know, podcasts, uh, just search directories and things like that. But uh, why don't we do some shout-outs, wrap it up. Man, we got through this all this news in an hour. Man, we're getting good at this, an hour and a half. So, uh, Flame, you want to do some shout-outs before we take off? Yeah, I mean, shout-out to Blizzard. I had a really good month of World Cup. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> shout-out to, uh, I guess, my community for sticking with me, even though I wasn't home. Like, that was cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a lot going on right now, and, like, I'm still trying to, like, figure out my place in the whole OWL ecosystem, but... Mm -hmm. I'll figure it out soon, I think. Yeah, I think... So uh, shout out to everybody that got me here and, like, has supported me to get to this point. Yeah, man, it was great seeing you on, at World Cup, man. Yeah, getting a chance to you see you on the desk. You know, it's been... A, it was a while since, like, well, before World Cup, when was it? Was it... Was it almost you? Uh, oh, oh, my gosh. It's, like, that's hard to imagine. That's crazy. So, um, did a great job on the on the desk. And, of course, ZP is all... I mean, <laughs> ZP always do well, too. But it was especially uh, nice getting a chance to see you on there. Did you have a lot of fun? Like, just traveling? I mean, everyone, everyone was just thinking, I mean, like, so, like, I had this conversation, but, like, it's super warming to, like, 
work with people that are like your age, man. Like you take it for granted. I think some people when they get out of college and they join like startups and everyone's like their age. Yeah. But I've been working with people that are in like their forties and fifties. Oh, that sucks. And suddenly I'm with like everybody that's like in their like late twenties and early thirties and like super chill and like down to help and like just having like Golden Boys, Zoe, Rachel, Jamerson, like just all there with you all the time is like super like it's like it feels good, you know, like... Well, they're awesome people, too. So. Like, don't worry. We're all going to get old soon enough. Soon yeah. we will be the 50... I am a child, and, and I will never grow up. Soon I will be the 50... We're, we're going to be telling people to get off our lawns. Like, hey, we're going to be yeah. able to afford lawns. Exactly. And the reason why you're able to afford a lawn is to tell kids to get the hell off. I love the young people. That, that's where we're going. <laughs> yeah, man, you're going to have that skin, too, man. Be flipping burgers while you're doing it, too. No, I mean, it's just good. It, it was yeah. like... I lo- like I loved every part of it. Everyone, like people were complaining in China that it was like a bad experience, but like I was just happy to be in China, you know. Like I don't care that the heat's broken or that the bus is taking us to the wrong place. Like I'm just in China, man. Like and you like, never Australia, left China, actually. Yeah, Australia was so sick, man. Like Australia was like unreal. Like how crazy. Like that was like the first time I felt like you compare it to Vegas. I, there was obviously not a lot of spectators at E League. Like just being in that crowd on the desk like just seeing all these like people that they weren't even just hyped for Australia they were just hyped for good Overwatch yeah and it's like a little it's like a taste of like what's possible you know like if you do get an entire region to be happy about something or just like show up to something like and when you were in China literally I mean I'm not to like knock on China but when China was done playing the Chinese fans would like leave when like Australia was done playing <laughs> the Australian fans like stayed and they watched and they cheered for teams that weren't theirs and like it was sick and like but did they that- have a flag did they have a guy running across the stage with a I'm flag? Not, I will say they didn't have a stage. The setup was completely different. We had like know, we had we had really good seating in Australia. Like there was like everyone could see everything. Yeah, yeah. But it's bigger. No, there, no, there was no Captain Planet running around with his blue tunic <laughs> or whatever that was. Like, obviously, fan bases are gonna differ, but I do think it helps in keeping your fans there the entire time when you're putting them in a casino in like super comfortable seating with really good concessions all the rest so sure stick around yeah that's true i guess <laughs> all right well yeah be- definitely best of luck to you man hopefully you you will be uh, part of overwatch league in some capacity whether it's talent or uh on a team definitely looking forward to seeing that happen um zp how about you shout outs uh, similar shout outs. I mean, doing a uh, world cup over, wait, am I still here? Yeah. Here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, uh, my Twitch just started buffering. I thought everything went, uh, went away, but no, I mean, of course, big shout outs to blizzard for a uh, world cup over the summer. It was super fun to be a mm-hmm. part of it. Uh, some great events, uh, both, uh, I was in, uh, Sydney and us or in Santa Monica, both were freaking amazing. And uh, shout outs to everyone working on contenders, a lot of great overwatch, uh, to fill the void between now and world cup finals and whenever overwatch league gets started out it's a really good time for overwatch so uh yeah, and of course time. shout out to the fans for supporting this and making the events as good as they have been yeah like you said man this is uh, definitely a great summer end of summer is always i mean last year was amazing this summer it never ends i, know, it like, I honestly it's like a slogan it, like, man. My, my birthday feels like it was like a year ago like <laughs> July was the like it went by fast like every week went by fast but the entire month went by so slow. It's like <laughs> oh we're still we're still traveling like we're still traveling but like every time well, you're at the event you get to that last day and you're like oh my god it's gone but then you have another one. I can't believe it's not September yet. <laughs> like perception of time definitely changes when you're doing shit. 
there, yeah, there is this absolutely. sort of idea that people lose track of time when you know, for example, you're stuck in an office doing the same thing week after week. That's where you get to the moment of, oh my God, eight months of the year have already passed. But when you're constantly changing scenarios, I think your brain actually does process time somewhat slower. So yeah, yeah when you're doing cool stuff all summer long, it feels like it's been a longer summer. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I'll uh, wrap things up by uh, you know just um, thanking you guys for doing the show with me today. And uh, hopefully we, Ben will be back next week uh, because we missed him today. But uh, thanks to all you guys for watching, too. I guess from my standpoint, oh, I do have some bit of news in terms of PAX West. We're going to be doing Streamer Showdown out in PAX West in Seattle. So if you guys are going to be there, uh, definitely look on the schedule and you'll see. Actually, you'll see Streamer Showdown twice. We're going to be doing a general gaming one. And then we're going to be doing an Overwatch one during the esports um, segments for on, on the Twitch stage. So uh, look for us there. Say Come say hi if you're, you're around. And um, it, hopefully some more news of Streamer Showdown soon. But uh, you can find the this podcast uh, and you know the VODs and everything on youtube.com slash chainmanv. You can follow us on Twitter, the Overview GG. And again, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. So uh, that's going to be it, guys, for this week and the Overview for Flame, ZP, and myself, Chainmanv. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>